0: Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Boncom, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. Hey, Columbia, for those of you in the room, you, you came. You showed up. Give yourselves a hand. You're here. And uh, now... I ran into several people who got here at 9.30. They didn't get the message. They just thought that's when it, uh, they said they were early. I said, no, you're right on time. Ran into somebody else who, uh, who was late for the 10 o'clock and said, you moved at a half an hour. We're still exactly the same amount of time late. And heard from a couple of people who, uh, you know, just confused about all the timing thing and that's all right. Time's what we're going to deal with today a little bit. I will say last time we did this, it was a long time ago. I don't even know how many years. Maybe Amy Cat can tell me because she... When was it, Amy? We were talking about this way over, probably like 2003 or... 2003 or 4, something like that, shortly after I came. Because when I came in young and brash, my opinion was you never canceled worship for any reason. No matter what happened, you had worship. And, uh, and Snowmageddon is what ended that. The first time we absolutely could not get here was Snowmageddon. And that's the first time I ever live streamed and, uh, and the beginning of an era in, in some ways. But up until then, whoever came, came. And so, you know, we would just uh, have one service like this or something like that. And whoever showed up, showed up. And some of the most memorable worship services that I think to a lot of people were those sort of random off, off-the-cuff things that happened uh, like that. I preached a sermon on that particular Sunday that Amy remembered. I received a text this morning from, uh, from them um, and and they, they were saying they, they vividly remembered that day. A sermon that I preached off the cuff on a snow day, Dave Hilliard told me it was the best sermon I ever preached. Now, I don't know what to do with that because I didn't prepare for it. It was totally off the cuff. And he said, you know, this is the best sermon you ever preached, so maybe I should just always preach off the cuff or whatever the case and today I'm I'm not going to preach the installment that I had planned uh, because I had no idea whether I'd had slides or whatever. It's pretty dependent on that, and just because we're out of rhythm, it's a good opportunity to back up the bus. So we're going to extend this series next one week, and uh, we will catch that particular uh, sermon. And uh, and what I'm going to do is to back up today and deal with something that some of you are struggling with. And sometimes I think that this is something I should do more often anyway. Leave a gap. And uh, Colombians are very communicative, and uh, they don't assume that just because the preacher says it's right, I can can promise you that. And so I will hear from people who are saying, tell me what you meant by this, help me understand this, or I disagree on this, or I agree but can't figure this out. All those things come into play in every given week, so I take a sermon to be always a part of a conversation. (coughs) And that's a great thing. I love preaching in that context. I like preaching to smart people where I don't really have to think twice about throwing out difficult concepts. That's one of the fun things about DC to me and why it fits my personality and my nature and why God I think has me here. So I really, I really enjoy that. Now, on that particular Snow Day Sunday, I told a joke at the beginning, and since I haven't told it since 2004, only a few of you remember it. And uh, so it goes like this. There was a circuit-riding preacher, and uh, you know, I don't know if you remember those days, but a circuit-riding preacher would have a number of churches, and on a given Sunday, he would be at one of those particular churches. So you might have church once every four weeks, once every two weeks, once every five weeks. It depended on the size of the circuit and how spread out the population was. And so he arrived at one of his smaller charges, one of his smaller congregations on a particular Sunday, and, and only one man showed up. And so he said, he said, Johnny, it seems to me that if it's just you and me, maybe we just grab a bite to eat or something and, you know, we don't go through with it. And Johnny says, well, preacher, that's not how I understand worship. You know, God's here. And you're here and I'm here, so it seems to me that we should go ahead and worship. So he says, Okay, we'll do that. So they sang a few songs. Wasn't difficult. They didn't use instrumentation anyway. Just the two of them. They sang a bunch of duets of hymns that they both knew. And they, they get to the preaching time and the preacher says, Well, Johnny, this has been so enjoyable. I want to thank you for this. And you were right, we should worship God, and we did. So I, I hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, and Johnny says, Now wait a second. We haven't worshipped if if you don't preach. And the preacher says, but look, it's just you and me. I mean, you're sitting there in the pew and I'm standing up here preaching. It just doesn't feel right. And, and he said, look, look, preacher, here's, 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 here's a question for you. If you had some horses and you fed those horses every morning at, let's say, six o'clock. The pastor said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking you. And he says, let's say you got 10 of them. But on a particular morning, you show up at six and only one horse shows up. Are you going to give that horse the oats? And the preacher goes, well, yeah, I I guess I am. He said, all right, I'm one horse, so, so, so feed me. So the preacher says, okay. Now, he's so enthusiastic that Johnny really wants him to preach that he really winds up and he gets rolling. It might be one person, but he can see a room full of people. And so he just begins to preach and preach and preach and asks as we do once in a while, he runs on and on and he goes, he goes way over the normal allotted time, which for this congregation is a lot because there's really no stopping point. He just keeps going on and on and on. Towards the end of the sermon, Johnny's eyes start getting heavy, he starts falling asleep, and the, and the preacher says, Johnny, you told me that you were one horse and that I needed to feed you and that if you showed up and needed to preach, I'm giving you oats. And Johnny says, well, preacher, I didn't know you was going to give me the whole bucket so, so, you're here today, and it's an opportunity, we're off schedule, we're off cycle, and it's an opportunity to be a little off cuff, and to create a memory, and to talk about something that I think is core uh, to what we're dealing with here, and, and something that some of you are wrestling with. So, there's something that I have said now on both of the Sundays that I've been preaching this series. And what I've said, I've said many times. I've preached it many times, but for some reason in the context of death, dying, and life after life, it has struck people differently. And so they've been responding to me and saying, hey, help me understand this. And what I said, which I think is rather obvious, but maybe it's not, and I think I can understand why it's not, I said, hey, listen, God exists above and beyond time and space. God is unaffected by by time and space. And therefore, eternity means something different. And here's the piece that they struggled with, that they glommed onto. I said, eternity is not a whole lot of time. Eternity is not endless time. Eternity is the absence of time. And a couple of people came back and said, what do I do with that? They even had some scripture verses that are analogous in the way that they're presented. And one of them I'll talk about today. But they said, hey, what am I going to do? How do I comprehend this? And how do I I understand this? So I've been thinking about this a, a great deal, about how to describe this, how to help us understand this. So I have a couple of scriptures here, and first there's the one that uh, that most people have sent my way and have dealt with. So this is from Second Peter, and it's kind of interesting because in in Second Peter. This is the one thing that Peter, formerly known as Simon, the first great leader of the church in many ways, you could argue for Paul, you could argue for Peter, but this is the first leader of of whatever is growing of the church. And Peter says there is one thing and one thing only he does not want people to forget. If you tell me, Jim, listen, if there's one thing you don't want me to forget, what would it be? I would have to say to you, let me think about that And get back to you. I really would because, frankly, there's no week that I'm not talking about something that I think we shouldn't forget. Something that Scripture tells us. Something about the truth of the Bible that we have to know. But if there's one thing, Peter knows exactly what it will be. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years Are like a day. How many of you know that scripture? You've read it before. You've pondered it. You've thought about it. You think it's amazing. Somebody said to me, if God is above time and space, if God is unaffected by time and space, if if what you're saying is true, if eternity is the absence of time, from whence get I this scripture? From why does Peter give us this scripture? And the, the answer is quite obvious, and that is that the scripture is an analogy. Some scripture is analogy. Please, please understand this. I mean, if you don't, you don't get a lot of, of what Scripture is trying to teach you because in the modern scientific world, we read Scripture differently than generations of Christians did. I'm talking about every generation until the last couple. It's only in the last 100, 150 years that we have read Scripture with the kind of precision. So when, what I'm going to preach about when I redo the sermon from today, is how we'll always occupy some sort of body. So that'll fascinate you. It'll tease you. It'll, it'll, it'll make you want to come back for more. Uh, it'll make you, I think, think about this in, in advance. But when Paul says this, he says, look, I tell you a mystery. What is a mystery? It's something I, I can't describe in detail. It's something I can't understand fully. There, and there's even... A description in the New Testament that deacons should be able to comprehend fully the mystery of the faith. What in the world does that mean? It means that we can receive things and accept things that we don't get in finite detail. They may not even make sense to us, but we understand that that's because we are limited to time and space, because we think in a particular realm. When Peter says this, what he's saying is, look, if I look at the world I have now, the best analogy I can give you for what God is, is that a day is like a thousand years to him. A thousand years are like a day, which means time means what to God? Nothing. Nothing. Now, this is hard to comprehend because it means that God is in every time that has ever existed in the history of the world or will exist until its end. He is in all of those simultaneously. Because time exists within eternity time is something that is held within the palm of eternity's hand. It's very hard for us to comprehend this. It means that things like the cross are ageless and timeless. Though we experience them in history, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't mean, of course, it is a historical event in our understanding. No doubt about it. It absolutely happened in history so that we could comprehend it in our dimensionality. However, the reality of Jesus' resurrection is not that he rose on a particular day, but no matter when he'd been crucified, death couldn't hold him. Resurrection is an eternal reality that shows up in time and space. That's what I tried to say on the first Sunday. Time means nothing to God. But we're really wrong in saying it this way because it's not that time means nothing to God, it's that time means something to us. What separates us from God is that we are finite. We experience things within our dimensionality. We experience things in time, space, and matter. We experience things in a particular way, and that limits us. There is an old South American saying that I will clean up for the purposes of church. But you will understand how this saying goes. It was told to me by a friend of mine who'd immigrated from Colombia, not this Colombia, the country Colombia. And he said, hey, Jim, i got to tell you something. you got to think about this with regard to how people in the church were responding to something. He said, to a fly in dung, this is where I'm cleaning it up. He said, to a fly in dung, the whole world is dung. That's all they know. They're lost within a particular cavity of matter, within a particular place in matter. Let's think about this a couple of other ways. C.S. Lewis had a great analogy. He told a story about a child born in prison. Have you read this before? And the prison was underground. It was a dungeon. And this child, born a baby, grew up in the dungeon. And one day, the doors were opened, and all of the prisoners in that dungeon left. And most of the prisoners were returning to a world they had known, a world with light, a world where they could sense things they couldn't see underground. But to the child, this was an entirely new world. And C.S. Lewis says that's how it is when we live in time and we're trapped in this space, in this continuum, when we're trapped here. But someday the doorways will fly open and we will walk resurrected into eternity and we will comprehend what was always there but we did not see. I have a close friend who is a physicist, and uh, some of you who are on staff remember when I had my buddy Steve Chang come. He's a physicist who became a pastor. Don't ask me. I don't know how that works. But anyway, he was trained at the world-famous Center for uh, Conceptual or Ideated Physics that is at uh, Maryland, University of Maryland. And after a short career as a physicist, he felt a call to ministry, and so his ministry's been different than mine certainly would be. It has always been tempered by his understanding of conceptual physics, of, of big-picture physics. You remember this retreat, don't you butcher it? Some of the staff hated, hated this retreat. It was my favorite ever. It blew my mind. It absolutely blew. Me. It was Brett, Fav- uh, Brett Flanders' favorite, too. He, we read this thick book, and the staff griped and complained and moaned the whole time, this thick science book and uh, book of science called The Great Unknown. And Brett said, finally, you read a book I understand. Finally, you're doing something that makes sense. All this theology stuff you guys do, which is, dis- which is ambiguated, as he calls it. Finally, we read something that's disambiguated, which is funny to me because I think there's nothing more ambiguous than science. You can't totally figure it out." There. Debates everywhere. Anyway, that's another story. So my friend comes and he says, listen, in my understanding, as I read Scripture, what I think is that God exists as infinite dimensionality. There is no limit to God. He's not one dimension, not two dimensions. he's not three dimensions, he's not four dimensions. He's dimensions we don't even know or comprehend or understand. But we live in this three-dimensional world. And essentially, he says, we can only perceive one less dimension at any time than exists. And one time I had Brett come up here and draw a picture to illustrate this, and I thought about doing it again today, but I decided not to. Just take my word for this, and if you don't believe me, go look it up later. And so in reality, we can only see within the dimensional space that we exist. We can only we can't even perceive one of the dimensions we occupy, which is kind of Amazing, remarkable. We can only think about it. We can only know it exists. We experience it, but not by the way we see it or perceive it. So he says, if, if God is infinite dimensionality, then he's right here with us, and we're right in the midst of God. He's all around us. He's in us. He's through us. He's through everything, and yet we cannot perceive that he is there except with our spiritual eyes. And the way he painted that picture blew my mind. Some things you say that changed my life, this one really changed my life. It expanded my horizon, my understanding of who God is, or more particularly, who I am relative to, to God. I thought about another story too, a parent who was talking to me a few weeks ago. Some people are only now beginning to return after COVID, which I find strange. Okay, but the reality is, it's not that they're returning after the pandemic is over, it's that they're returning after their experience of the pandemic is over. And so they, they got out of a cycle of coming to church. Have you noticed attendance has really been going up the last month or two? And you're like, didn't the pandemic end a year ago or whatever? But, but people's experiences changed. And this, this parent said to me, the reason it's been so hard for us to come back is that we had a baby at the beginning of the pandemic when everything was shut down. I said, oh, tell me about that. That must have been interesting. must have been horrifying too, but anyway, it must have been interesting, and she said it was horrifying. She said, we didn't know, you know, did COVID affect pregnancy? Did it affect babies? We didn't know how. We still don't know quite know how. I was going to need to go to a hospital. What was that going to be like? She said there were all kinds of fear factors, but then we got past that. We get home, and then all of a sudden we're home. I've got this baby, and in some way she said it was wonderful because I never would have been able to spend this amount of time with my child. It was magnificent for us to have as a family this time. But she said, the problem is my child never experienced anything outside of my home and neighborhood. And as a result of that, breaking my child into the larger world has been incredibly difficult. So, I thought about this, and I thought, this is like being born. What does every baby do when they are born, and if they don't, you got a problem? What does every baby do? They cry. I mean, how many of you, the birth of your child, you heard that cry and it was the best sound you ever heard, right? You're like, oh, thank God, you know. Now, from then on when they cried, it was irritating. But, but right, <laughs> right then, it was, it was really wonderful. And the reason the baby is crying is because to them, to this moment in time, for the nine months of gestation and growth, their whole world has been their mother's womb. dark. Comfortable, I guess. I don't remember it. I don't think. Uh, that warm, the experience of closeness all the time, uh, you, everything you need is right there. It's literally at your fingertips, right? All the time. Everything you, everything's in that little world. So when the baby comes into the world, it is overwhelming, shocking. All of a the sudden, their senses come alive. I see light for the first time. I hear unmuffled sound for the first time. I sense cold for the first time, something different than 98.6 degrees, something different. The world actually changes temperature. It shifts. It, it moves. I see other people I didn't even know existed. In fact, I didn't even know my mother existed in terms of her external appearance and what it was like to be held in arms instead of a womb. The whole world has changed in an instant. And this is a world that the baby does not even know existed until that moment. And if that baby then is born into a world that is somewhat limited, a home during COVID, and they only maybe see a couple of neighbors walking around the neighborhood, but their whole world is their parents, their father and their mother. In this case, this was their first child, so there's not even a sibling. The world consists of a home with three people in it. And a little bit of grass outside and, and maybe a little bit of stuff outside, but for the most part, this is my world. And suddenly you take me to church and you break me into this world with all of these truly scary people. I understand. And you take me in the midst of this. What am I going to do? I'm going to cry because my whole world has been limited. And you need to understand that the way we see the world is similarly limited even if you're well-traveled, even if you've had a broad range of experience, even if you read all the time, even if you're well-educated, you've done everything to move yourself from a one to three on a scale of a million in terms of what there is in eternity to be known and somehow to be comprehended and interacted with. And I take it that when my life on this earth ends, when that happens, then I'm going to enter a vast, vast something that I don't even understand called eternity where there is no time and I can't even explain exactly what that will be and no human being can even with the revelation of the Holy Spirit the scripture is somewhat sketchy and ambiguous when it comes to describing that but it's not only because there's limited knowledge it's also because there are limited metaphors you're trying to use a physical world to explain a spiritual reality And that turns out to be really, really hard to do, really difficult to do. Now, this is what you need to know. And frankly, this gets a little bit into apologetics. So, Sharon, you'll be very happy today. But if somebody asks you to prove God's existence, let me ask you, first of all, can that be done? No. If you could prove God's existence, God would not be God. You'll struggle philosophically to prove your own existence. Trust me on this. It's a rabbit hole. But if you have to stand within dimensionality, within time and space, and describe God, I think what you do is to talk about the uncaused first cause. You say, okay, listen, you can show me scientifically whatever your opinion of how it all worked was. You can go back and you can start with a big bang if that's your particular theory and it is the prominent theory, and you can move me forward to right now, and you can, you can show me a great deal. You can look through a telescope, the kinds that are being sent up now, and you can see the edges of the universe. You can describe all that to me, which, by the way, to me is fantastic, fascinating, awesome. I'm totally captivated by by all of that. But you can't tell me what existed before that existed. You can't explain to me what was there before time. You cannot describe that to me. Causality is a a funny thing. We often will call things that are correlative causal. This has all been going on lately in our country. This is what every great conspiracy is made of. These two things happen. They must be connected. Uh, this is a little side story, but it's funny. We have an electrician at our house right now because we're redoing the kitchen. He's a, he's a hoot. He's a fascinating guy. And uh, this guy, Randy, he's, he's a totally fascinating dude. And he, he talks to you the whole time, so you get to kind of know a lot about his world. And so he and I, yes, we we're working on something, and, and as we're working on something, the only light that exists in this little part of the house now is in this little pantry area, and as he's working, it goes out. And he goes, Oop boop. I go, what? He goes, I cannot figure out how I possibly could have caused that. I go, okay, explain to me. He goes, well, he said, the circuit I'm working on is off. Okay, okay. He says, it's been off for a while. Cool. He said, and I, I'm not touching anything right now that could possibly be related to that. So I'm trying to figure out what happened here. I said, all right, that's cool. Let's just, let's just keep moving on. He goes, nope, we got to figure this out. We got to figure So he takes everything, starts testing everything. We go all around, we start testing things. And, uh, and finally I go, you know, Randy, um, maybe, maybe the light just went out while we were standing there. He goes, what are the chances? (laughs) I don't know. It's been buzzing for a while. You know, maybe the ballast, this is this old-fashioned thing, maybe the ballast went out, switch is out or something like that. You go, okay, maybe you're right, let's test the switch. He goes, he tests the switch, he goes, yeah, there's power going to the switch. The light must have gone out. And he goes, no, what are the chances? I said, I, I don't know, dude, what the chances are. One in a trillion, I, I, but we were standing here talking, the light went out. Maybe you had nothing to do with it. He goes, no, I, I can't figure out how that would be. 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, after going down this rabbit hole, what happened is while he was working on another part of my electrical circuit, that light just happened to give out. There's no connection at all. But convince somebody of that. I can give you a great conspiracy theory, but there's not one. It just that's the moment the light chose to go out. I found it very handy because I had an electrician here to put another light up there. I thought that that was great. But uncaused first cause. What starts the ball rolling? What is the initial force? Somebody says the Big Bang. Okay, who caused, what caused the Big Bang? I don't know. Can't tell you that. It's just compression of, okay, now, now I'm on to something. Let's take a look at a fascinating verse. This is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, not at the beginning. This is really clear in the Hebrew in the beginning. That is, I'm telling you a story about something that happened in a piece of the beginning, a part of the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven's And the earth. Now, you take this for granted and you say that scripture can't possibly mean that much, but let me tell you what most physicists agree on. I can't ever tell you what all physicists agree on because that's impossible anymore. But I can tell you based on my conversation with Steve Chang, I ran this by Brett Flanders this morning just to make sure I wasn't going to get talked to later. So here's the thing time and space and matter, they're all captured in this verse. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. What you need to know is that it is almost impossible, most physicists agree, that time, space, and matter did not come into being at precisely the same moment. This is pretty simple to understand because let's say you've got matter but you've got no space, where would you put it? And let's say that you've got space, but you've got no time. When would you put it? All of these things came into being at the same instant, and this cannot be explained fully by science. But when we say that, we say, okay, there's the beginning. Now, what caused it? What's what's before that particular cause? And my answer is something that had to exist, unlimited by the time and space it created. Something of greater dimensionality and that something for me through the eyes of faith is God. Amen? So here is God. And God creates this Time-space continuum and places us within it according to His plan and His purposes to reveal something of Himself, His will. And we're created in His image. And therefore, I take it that what we can witness in time and space right here and right now tells us something about eternity. Now, hear me again. This is really important. Most people tend to think of time and space as totally separate from eternity But that's not true. Time and space are within eternity, and therefore they do reveal something about eternity. So I take it that looking at you right now, when I get to heaven or when the resurrection of the dead occurs or when the rapture occurs, I told Chris this morning that what we should do is send out a message um, on the screen, instead not say anything and do the live stream, and we should say, if you're reading this... good luck, the rapture occurred, and the whole… The, the problem would be no staff… nobody would agree… nobody would ever believe that the whole staff would be rapt. So, you know, they would, there's, there's some staffer that they go, well, maybe everybody else, but Dr. Jim would still be here, whatever the case may be. So, whatever happens when it happens and how it happens, totally mystery. But when it does, I take it that if I, when I get there, I'm going to recognize you. I'll tell you this in a couple of weeks or a few weeks, but you're going to have a body. And, and I take it that the body you have now, this is the bad news for a lot of us, right? It's going to reveal something about how you'll… Now, that, that look may be totally different because a heavenly body or a spiritual body is different than a physical body. But still in the image of God, we're going to recognize it. We're going to know it. And we're going to know each other. This is one of the coolest things ever to me. I mean, it's not some ethereal floating around thing. We're going to occupy the eternity we already occupy because we've crossed over and now have eyes of faith. But we're going to occupy it without the constraints of time and space. And for that reason, in ways that are impossible for us to comprehend right now, death is a gift. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think about it as a gift every day any more than you do. I, I, I don't look forward to it. I'm certainly trying not to cause it. I'm trying to avoid it like we all are. But were it not for what this world calls death, there is no freedom from the time-space continuum that is now fallen and warped and broken and has become finite in ways that God never intended in terms of his image. We will be freed from an underground prison. And when we step into eternity and behold it, it will be, beyond a shadow of a doubt, more magnificent than anything we can describe using earthly metaphors. There's no way we can even talk about it. We can't even comprehend the beauty, the magnificent, because God is beauty. God is beauty. And we can't even comprehend what that will be like. And that's the reason why we've got to learn to anticipate it in ways that people who do not have eyes of faith and have not crossed over are unable to do. Because our greatest witness to the world will be that we do not fear death. Do you hear me? Our greatest witness to the world... About the truth of Scripture, the existence of God, and the truth of His revelation in Jesus Christ and Christ's resurrection will be that we do not fear death in the same way as others do, and we do not grieve it in the same way as others do, though we do grieve. It's painful, but not in the same way as others. And the problem, I think, today in the scientific world is we have gotten lost in time and space. We have gotten so attached to what is right here around us, what is at our fingertips, that we can't perceive something greater, and that people in the church of Jesus Christ fear death just as much as the unbeliever down the street. And the reason that's happened is because life's gotten a little too easy for us. It's gotten a little too good. You know, if life's a struggle, death is welcomed. I can tell you this for sure because I've walked with enough people for whom life has become so hard, so difficult, that they simply said, I'm ready, I'm tired, I'm ready to go. Especially followers of Jesus who said, look, I know where I'm going to be. Just let me go. And you and I can't comprehend that because our lives are pretty easy. In a world of refrigerated food, life is easy. But the reality is that being trapped in this prison that is broken and falling and dying, we eventually do want to go the way of all flesh because the alternative is remaining occupied in a world that can't hold eternity. This is so big, it's, it's, it's just so huge in, in our thoughts about death is that we can comprehend something about what is eternal. We can see something. We know we're already in it. We see pictures of it, glimpses of it, shadows of it, if you will, but it's still a mystery to us. So that's what I meant when I said that God exists above and beyond time and space. That's what I meant when I said that God is unaffected by time, space, or matter. That's what I meant by that, but I really said it wrong. And the more people talked to me about it, the more I realized it did. It's not that God is above time and space or unaffected by it. God is God. It is that we are within time and space and that we are deeply affected by time, space, and we are matter. And for that reason, we can't even see the bars of our own prison. We can't comprehend it, and we can't behold it. Now, this changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, what happens when we worship? When we worship, we're trying to sing across the veil, to sing into eternity. We're we're trying to pray together into eternity. We're trying to experience something that is, is more than just the material world, because the fellowship of the saints gives us some sort of a picture of what eternity is going to contain at its best. When we worship, we're trying to peer across and see the mystery and behold it. We, we can't describe it or fully explain it, but we know that something is, is happening. And when we read Scripture and we pray and when we when we go through the disciplines, the whole life disciplines of life, what are we trying to do? We're trying to touch eternity, to reach across the veil. And friends, for those of you who have lost people that you dearly and deeply love, you know, they exist in another dimensionality now, and they're, the saints, the Bible says, are right here with us. You know that, right? The saints are with us, because wherever God is around us, that's... That's where they are too, seated with Jesus at the right hand of God, which without space doesn't even have particular meaning. It just means they're there in a blessed place with Him, and you will see them again. The Bible says it clearly, and you will know them when you see them. So, for all the people asking those questions, and this life will have seemed like the snap of a finger. It will have seemed like nothing, just a tiny little nothing in the middle of everything. Now, I don't know if any of this is helpful to you, so let me know. For me, for me, reading Scripture in this context just changes everything. Seeing Jesus as the picture of eternity in time and space, understanding Scripture as a word given in time and space for me That reveals to me eternity. Knowing that God is right here, closer than my hand. Understanding all this for me makes it all richer and fuller and more meaningful and just expands my horizons and blows my mind. And the reason it blows my mind is because my brain cannot fully comprehend this, though I kind of get it. I get it a little, I get it kind of. But it's a picture of so much more. God is eternal. And we exist within eternity. That's an amazing thing to talk about. Time, space, matter. All at some moment that didn't even have significance to God, God brought into meaning and significance to reveal something eternal about Himself, and we are His revelation in His image. We are His revelation of His goodness and His grace and His love. And, and I think most of all, the thing I want you to carry away from this is we've got to stop being afraid of death. I don't mean go out and hasten your own departure. <laughs> Though, so, the way some of you drive, that could happen. <laughs> Take good care of your body, because I'm going to tell you in a few weeks, the body matters. What we do in the body matters. But don't, don't overgrab it. Open your hand and hold it loosely and get to the point where you can say to people you love and people who know you, your neighbors and your friends, hey, you know, someday I know this, this world's going to end for me, maybe for you at the same time. I don't know how it's going to happen, but, you know, it's not that big a deal to me. I'm not ready for it, of course, but when it comes, I'm going to see I'm gonna to touch eternity. And without that moment, I will never know all there is of God. I'll just know a little tiny bit. We gotta to get to the point where we can talk about death differently. Amen. And if we're no different in the way we talk about death than those around us, then we're no different in the way we talk about life either. And we can't really argue that we believe something greater than what we can see. We can't. So, Father, we pray that you would just reach across this veil that separates time and space and matter from whatever eternity is. Because quite honestly, God, we can only conjecture about what it would mean that there is no time at all. I just pray that you would give us glimpses, revelations of what it will be like to be unified as the body of Christ with you forever, when forever doesn't even mean a lot of time. It just means no time. What will it be like for us to escape the bars of this prison we love because we know but we call earth? I think we should thank You sometimes that You didn't make this a miserable place all the time. There is joy here. There is peace here. There is hope here. In fact, we we most days, when we're not struggling deeply, we love our lives. So thank You, Lord, that You chose to reveal Your goodness and Your grace within this dying world of which we are a dying part. And Lord, teach us that What we love most and what is best about this world you've given to us is is what shows us your beauty, your grace. It's what shows us eternity. But Lord, give us a hunger for eternity that takes away from us the fear of death because your servant John told us perfect love casts out fear. And we desperately need not to be afraid like the world around us Because, Lord, we know that if we're afraid, it means we haven't completely trusted you. And if we're afraid, we look no different than our atheistic or unbelieving neighbor. And if if we fear death in the same way that everyone else does, we can rightly be asked the question, do you really believe what you say you believe? So, Lord, in this series, I've heard you calling out to me, Jim, what do you really believe about life and death? What do you really believe about me? And Lord, I'm asking for you to enter through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of our congregation, and the inner recesses of our hearts, and to speak to us from the depths of eternity into our experience of time and space, Lord. Come, we pray, just as you came in the person of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, together we are all new, all in, and all out. And before I say our mission, I want to thank the Columbia Foundation for all they mean to us and encourage you to tithe your estate to them because your life is going to come to an end here on earth. Just so you know, you go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a blessed week. I'll see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro D.C. area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.